Howdy, online family. Thanks again for tuning in to the Grace Church of Ocala podcast. We are equipping disciples who make disciples in Ocala, Florida. I'm Pastor Ryan Gagnon. We're going to be hearing today from Pastor Todd McQueen as he concludes our series, Anchored on the Unseen. We've prayed about how best to meet our community with the gospel message of Jesus. We believe this digital component is a way of meeting our community here on the web. We hope God uses it to encourage and challenge you. We also encourage you to serve a local church body. Remember, you can't be the church by yourself. We covered some serious ground these last six weeks. Pastor Todd explained previously that we house the Holy Spirit once we become followers of Jesus. We discussed how the Holy Spirit guides us in the ministry of reconciliation to our communities. Now think back to the time you and your spouse had your first date. Visualize the first home you ever lived in. How about the first time you ever went to the county fair? These memories and others are special because of the story associated with them. God's story with his people is special because of his presence and what he did. That's what we're going to be working through in this episode. Now let's take a step back and see how God has worked with people since the beginning. We will be going through 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through chapter 7, verse 1. Follow along as Paul uses previous statements from God's word to explain to the Corinthians how they are to follow Jesus in their time. He will have references from Ezekiel, Leviticus, Isaiah, and 2 Samuel. Listen closely as Pastor Todd gives us a brief history of God's work with people from Genesis to Malachi. That's right, the entire Hebrew Scriptures. Don't worry, it's going to fly by as we find out we are the temple and its caretakers. Let's listen in together. This morning, as we conclude this series, it's about being a representative, but the text itself is rather difficult. So if you're first time visiting with us this morning, this is going to be a little bit of a mental exercise. And the best way for me to, to get started is to... Use an illustration. Miss Deb, when we got married and we moved, I'm moving this thing, this desk. And she is, does anybody, ladies, do you have anything in the house that's like incredibly expensive and fragile? Yeah, well, well, I know you do. They're called fishing rods. So don't run over my fishing rods. Well, this thing is flop. It, it, it's, it's not, well, it's not, uh, you wouldn't put the kids on top of it and, and, and do much with it. But Miss Joanne was in her 20s when it was built. It's only a few years old, right? Uh, Deb was around three. So it's literally only a few years old. I'm, I'm trying to go steady here. So it's not necessarily new. And when we moved into where we live now, this she's like, be really careful with that. Be really careful with that. I'm like, I get the whole China. You know, Miss Joanne has China from Vietnam that her brother-in-law brought back when he came back from Vietnam. I mean, I could get that. This is a, a desk. But it's not, it's a whole lot more than a desk. There's a story behind this desk. Her dad made this for her when he was, when she was three. We went out to dinner the other night and Joanne is telling me the story. It is so awesome to hear Joanne recite a story from memory. Old memories. And Deb pitched in and then she was like, wonder where it went for this part of the saga? Cause Deb has five boys and a girl and it lived through that. 
So it ended up in Deb's house. It ended up in one of the boys' houses they were growing up. Then as it got transferred from here to here, the desk has been everywhere, man. The desk is like Johnny Cash. Is it of value? When Miss Deb passes away and this thing goes up for auction, who's going to bid $2? Come on, give me three. But what if you wanted to buy it off of Deb this morning, how much would it cost? Doesn't have a price on it. The value is in the story. The value is in the story. And this morning, I have to take you all the way through the Old Testament. Hang on. I'm not going to go verse by verse. But the value of the temple is in its story. Where it started, why God started it. Because we're going to end up somewhere familiar today and familiar text challenge us to think about it in light of what Paul is using in the context of Corinthians, the temple. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But that is valuable because of the story. And that story starts clear back in Leviticus. Leviticus. Because... The story of the temple is Leviticus is the book on how do you use the tabernacle? How do you worship inside the temple? Leviticus is the play-by-play. But how did they get to the tabernacle, the tent, the really, really fancy tent that God had them made when they left Egypt? But here's where the story gets pretty neat. It starts with God rescuing a nation from Egypt. Have you seen the movie Exodus? It's in the movie theaters. Still big news today. So God rescues a people as slaves. And he does so in dramatic, found, uh, dramatic fashion. So we have the book of Exodus. God is defeating each one of the gods of Egypt. And he declares himself to the world and to Israel, I am your God. I will rescue you. I will rescue you. And literally where the word redeem comes from is to buy back. He bought a people from Egypt who didn't even have a clue that he was coming to rescue them. He took the initiative. So God literally says, I will break the yoke of your slavery in Egypt, and you can yoke with me. So the book of Exodus ends with God setting up a specific location for the first time since the creation story. God walked with Adam and Eve in the the garden. Where's the next time he sets up a residence with a zip code? The end of Exodus, the tabernacle. He dwells there. When he got his mail forwarded, it went to there. That was a bad joke. That's why it's really pretty amazing that God dwelled with his people in a tent in the wilderness. So from there, they go into the promised land. And they eventually move from having a tabernacle, the tent, where they moved it, when God said move, we're moving, to having a permanent place called the temple. And who built the temple? Come on. Solomon. Solomon built the temple. Was it really super nice? Yeah, it was. Super fancy. And what made it incredibly important, God, at the end of Moses commissioning this, what happens? God comes in and takes up residence there. It's huge. It's a monstrous deal. But then there's discipline. 
The people of Israel don't follow God really well. And God sends the prophets, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah, for long and years, generation after generation, generation. He says, turn to me or I will spank you. It's a really, really nasty spanking. But over generations, God warns of this spanking. And the spanking comes. What happens to the people? They're taken out of the land. And what happens to their beautiful temple? Destroy it. Who destroyed it, by the way? Nebuchadnezzar. Boom. It's done. And we just got done studying Lamentations this morning in Bible Fellowship. And it's a hard ending. When God gives a spanking for not following him, it's really, really tough. But during the time when Ezekiel is saying, hey, repent, repent, turn back to God before he spanks you. While they're on the way to Babylon, Ezekiel promises that you will someday again have a temple. So God has liberated them once from Egypt, gave them the tabernacle, then they got the temple, then they get in trouble and go to Babylon for 70 years. God promises a new temple. This is a second temple. After 70 years in Babylon, they get to rebuild the temple. It's big for them. Those books are Ezra and Nehemiah. And all this time, God had made a promise to David. We sang the song. Remember, remember King David? Who wanted to build a temple? David did. And Nathan the prophet comes in and says, you're not going to build it. Your son will. But at that time, God's got an incredible plan for you, David. Through your line, there will be the king that will always sit on the throne, King Jesus. So at the same time, we have this idea of a temple. The first one's a tabernacle when they got out of Egypt. Then we have the building of the temple when they take the promised land. Solomon builds it. Then there's a lot of generations of not following God. God spanks them, destroys that temple. They go into Babylon for 70 years. Then they go back and rebuild the temple for the second time. And meanwhile, God is saying, I want to be your parent. I want to be with you. So the story of the temple is rich. It is long. I just gave you the cliff notes of cliff notes. Open your Bible from Genesis to Malachi, and that's the story I told you. Wow, it was hard not to give a whole lot more details. But do you understand how the value of the temple is in its backstory? Huge story. Huge story. So now this morning, move with me to 2 Corinthians and go to the end of chapter 16 first. We'll talk about the backstory and where that lands with us today. Chapter 6 of 2 Corinthians, at the end of verse 16. For we are the temple of the living God. Start there, please. Everybody there? Got their finger at four? The word four? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Stop there. Look what God's saying. For we are the temple of God, temple of the living God. When we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, 
Who takes up residence inside of us? The Holy Spirit does. We become the temple. With that huge backstory, what is so amazing about when you start decide to follow Jesus, about what happens literally to you with your body as a representative for Jesus? Did you house the Holy Spirit? Big stuff, right? And that's set in the context of Solomon's temple. It's set in the context of the tabernacle and all everything that went into it. But look at Leviticus 26, 11 through 13, and I will read this to you. I will make my dwelling among you, and my soul shall not abhor you. And I will walk among you and will be your God, and you shall be my people. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, that you should not be their slaves. And I have broken the bars of your yoke and make you walk erect. Now move your finger to verse 16 in 2 Corinthians. Look familiar? Verse 16. I will walk among them, and I will walk, I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Paul is quoting from Leviticus. You are the temple, and this is where this is so much the history is wrapped up. It starts in Leviticus. When you come to know Jesus, when you lay down your life and say, I want to follow Jesus, it's not about me anymore. What is so amazing about you being the temple? It's where God literally wants to walk with you. He's quoting Leviticus 26, 11 through 13. Because remember, God rescued a people from Egypt. Did they ask the United Nations to come and help? No. They had prayed to God and said, hey, come and help us. And the greatest, one of the greatest things that we celebrate as followers of Jesus Christ and the Jews even to this day is Passover. Is God rescuing them from the land of Egypt? God taking the initiative. And when God rescued his people, he had some pretty basic rules. Worship only me. God said, just worship me. Take time to worship me. And God said, keep holy what I say is holy. If I call it special, you better keep it special. That's basically the rules that God came up with. And make, look at the image in Leviticus. What did God break? Their yoke of slavery with the Egyptians. It's an incredible image. Not only is he dwelling with us, but he breaks our yoke of slavery when we aren't following Jesus. How many of us look into our society today and say there's so much that people are wrapped up in that they can't break the yoke of it? whether it's addictions, whether it's cycles, whether it's pain, whether it's relationships, and we look at what shackles them and we see this yoke fastened around their neck and they're pulling with all their might to probably try to figure this thing out. And God's like, I want to break that. I want to liberate you. I want to set you free from that slavery. Now look at verse 17. Therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. Paul's quoting Ezekiel 37, 27. Ezekiel 37, 27 is what God says, I make the promise again. 
I will make my dwelling among you. Ezekiel comes after the first temple has been destroyed. You're a group of people. You've had your temple. It's been destroyed, and you're being taken off to Babylon, and there's this dude named Ezekiel. And he yells out, hey, God promises to make another one. Why would God tell him that then? They're on the way to captivity for 70 years. Jeremiah said it would happen for 70 years. And they're being led out. And once again, Ezekiel quotes Leviticus. Your God wants to make another dwelling with you. This is a promise for the second liberation. They're going into captivity, going back into slavery. And God's going to tell the same story yet again. Do you understand? God told the story the first time with Egypt. Second time he told the stories with what country? Babylon. I will dwell with you again. And then Paul quotes Isaiah, Isaiah 52, 11. My dwelling place shall be with them, he said in Ezekiel. Then in Isaiah 52, he says, Depart when you go out from there, Babylon, touch no unclean thing. Go out from the midst of her, Babylon. Purify yourselves, all you who bear the vessels of the Lord. Who are the bearer of the vessels in the temple? For God, the priest. So they're going away. They're getting a super spanking. They're getting deported out of the land. They're going to Babylon. Ezekiel yells out, hey, he's going to do it again. He's going to make another temple. And Isaiah says, hey, when you're all going out, make sure when you leave there, you purify yourselves. Don't be like Babylon. But as you come out, all you who carry the vessels of the Lord. Who are the vessel carriers today? We studied this. What does Paul use for an image for vessel carriers? Tents and jars. Jars of clay. You hold something amazing that God has placed in you. An immense treasure. See the connection Paul's making here? You are incredibly special when you decide to follow Jesus. As a Jesus follower, he wants to dwell with you. That promise has continued. And he says, when you leave your captivity, when you leave slavery, when you leave the bondage, whatever you had in the life before, turn your back to it, purify yourselves, set yourself apart for God, and be a sanctified, set-apart vessel carrier for the Lord. Because you are the vessel. Now move to verse 18 in 2 Corinthians. And I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. This is Paul quoting the promise that God gave David in 2 Samuel 7. Because remember, David's the one who wanted to build the temple. And in 2 Samuel 7, 14, God says, I will be a father to David, and he shall be to me a son. When he commits sin, when he does wrong, when he does iniquity, I will discipline him with the rod of men. God makes a promise to David, I want to be your dad. I want to have a familial. I want to have a parent-child relationship to you, with you. But that means discipline. 
God makes a promise to David there should always be a king on the throne. Remember, David wanted to build the temple. So it's in the context of building the temple that God makes this promise to him. What does Paul then quote right here? That same promise, and I will be a father to you. I don't know about you this morning, but when I think about other people and myself, when we think about what our parents are like and who raised us, who has spent the time with us to equip us to go out into adulting? Well, that's still crazy at 46. Who wants to be that parent to love us? God does. Now, I've talked a whole bunch, and you're like, oh, that's Isaiah, that's Ezekiel. That's 2 Samuel. That's who Paul's quoting here. God says, you are the temple. This is the backstory. All of that. Now move your finger back up and let's read it together with that backstory in mind. For we are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will make my dwelling among you, and I will walk among you, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. Therefore, go out from the midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you. I will be your father, and you will be my son or daughter, says the Lord Almighty. See the backstory of how awesome that is to be God's temple. All those promises, all of those years comes boiling down to where you sit this morning. So in this rich history of the temple, and then the people who had a relationship with God and worshipped him at a very special location, the Jews had a very special location to worship him. Followers of Jesus, we are that temple today collectively. If you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, as you come in here, not individually, but as a group, what is here at this address? It's all, well, yeah, it's a crack jar, it's a tent, but in today's illustration, it's what? Starts with a T. Temple. We are the temple. All of us that know Jesus and decide to follow him, the temple is here. God is here. We as Americans love this verse where we say, I am the temple and it's all about me and God rescued me. There's truth to that. But what Paul is saying here, the temple was always about the community of believers coming together. In this verse, it isn't all about you. Fellow followers of Jesus, the temple is highlighted. The halogen bulbs are on when we come together and the temple is here. So what does yoked have to do with that? Digest. Move your finger up to verse 14 to where Paul starts the argument. Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with the blow? 
Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? Or what agreement has a temple of God with idols? Look, since you are so special to God, since you are that temple, since we are that temple, don't yoke that. Don't lock yourself in with somebody else who is anti-God. I was really struggling how to present these verses this morning, but I'm doing backwards because Paul says, hey, don't be yoked. Don't yoke your temple up with something bad. Then he gives this beautiful historical illustration of why the temple is so beautiful with yoked language. So since, therefore, we are the temple of God, if we follow Jesus, if we claim to follow him and we've accepted what Jesus has done for us on the cross, since, therefore... You have to ask yourself, to whom am I yoked? Primarily, when it's just me, and I'm trying to figure out life, who is on the other side of that bar that I did with the kids? Are you doing it all by yourself? Are you yoked up with Jesus? Listen to these words in Matthew 11. Come to me. Jesus says, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Anybody wore out this week? Mentally, physically, spiritually? Listen to these words of encouragement from Jesus. Come to me, all you who are labor and heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. And learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in spirit, and I will find, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What is Jesus offering? Hmm. Hmm. Okay, remember with the kids. What happened when one of the kids pushed this way and the other one pushed this way? I'm not much of an engineer like Miss Sandy, but I do know this. Jesus says, yoke up with me. It's like the agricultural term. You got one cow over here, or Corey, you got a little pony over here, and you got a big draft horse over here. Liz, you were big into horses. What happens? You put a draft horse on one side, and you got one of the little Shetland thingies. Huh? Oh, hang on, Paul. Jesus is the draft horse on the one side. And he says, take my yoke, not your yoke, Who owns the yoke? Work with me. Who's the, what's the personal pronoun there? Jesus says, take my yoke, not yours, not the one you need help with. It's not Ross trying to figure out what to do next week and saying, hey, Jesus, will you take the other side? It's not the country song, hey, Jesus, take the wheel. He's got the whole car. This image is Jesus's yoke. Jesus is on one side, and he says, join with me. If you're going to lock two draft horses together, what do they have to do together? they got to work together. Who's the lead draft horse in the yoke in this image? Huh? Jesus is. So he says, take my yoke under his control. Then the burden is light. Except there's two footprints. 
the yoke is too. You, per, you, you personally hand over your rights of your yoke and voluntarily yoke up with Jesus. It's saying, no more to me. I will lock in with Jesus, and we're going to work this together, and we'll go forward together. That's why he says, learn from me. How many of us are dumb horses that need broke? I know I am. I know I'm like, I train dogs. You take a dog and you put them on a leash, try to leash break them, they take off 20 feet and you just stand on the leash. There they go, bam, into the leash. If I'm yoked up with Jesus and I got to work in the same direction he says to go, I don't get to pick the path, he says. So this morning, to whom are you yoked? Is it you, your yoke? Have you said, I will take off my pretension of having life figured out, and I will yoke up personally with Jesus? Now, if you say you have for years been yoked up with Jesus, then what work are you doing with him? Now, the other image that's valuable in here, and Paul's going to move to this, is with whom are you voluntarily yoking? Jesus claims the primary person to which you yoke. And you have to ask yourself, when we do the work that Jesus has asked us to do in his yoke, we must yoke up with other workers. With being, you cannot be the church by yourself. Because the image of the temple is greater the more temple bearers come in. So with whom are you going to yoke? Who is your fellow co-laborer? If you want to have one yoke by yourself and be the church all by yourself, quite frankly, this isn't the place for you. Come together as a family to yoke up with one another because you want to be yoked with other people who are chasing after Jesus. Do not be yoked with somebody who doesn't want to chase after Jesus. Do not be yoked up with somebody who says, I only want to be yoked up on Sunday for an hour. We will begin a new members class here. What does it mean to yoke with other people here and what we're doing for Jesus and what is expected of you as a yoked co-laborer? We will answer that question. I love that class. I think I get excited here. Wait till you see me there. So explore what that means. Do I want to be yoked with Grace Church of Ocala? What do they mean by making disciples? What can they expect out of me? Because the way Pastor Todd's talking, that he will not be happy if I just show up on Sunday and sit. Because taking Jesus' yoke means making disciples. The win in the game, the win for Jesus is in making disciples. Yoke up. First off with Jesus, second off with a co-laborer. Choose it who they are. Literally think this morning, who is my fellow laborer in this work that Jesus has called me to do? Literally in town, name a name, put it on your connection card if you want, or just take it home. Are you doing it all by yourself? Who's your teammate? Is it somebody that co-labors with you and points to Jesus? Is it someone that you co-labor with and says, please knock that off. We've got to go this way. 
Is it somebody that says, I want to worship God Monday through Saturday? Who are you yoked up with? Spend time with them. Now, in conclusion, verse 1 of chapter 7. Beloved, dear ones, 2 Corinthians 7, verse 1. Since we have these promises, stop there. Since we have these promises, what is the promise? You're, you're the temple, and you're yoked to Jesus. The temple idea and the yoking idea is brought to a head. Chapter 7, verse 1. Since then, you have these promises. Beloved or dear one, let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. Whoa, Paul. For real? How about taking the bar and putting it way up there? Beloved, dear ones, God said, my favorites, since the promise of God residing with us, walking with us, and parenting with us, beloved, yoke together ones, cleanse and purify the church. What does it mean to purify the temple? What would be in the temple that it would need to purify? Well, if we had like a satanic star up front, would somebody want to purify that? Well, just think of the Old Testament stories of what had to happen when they purged the temple. There was all kinds of crazy garbage in that thing. It's like the empty closet rule in a house. You never, and one doesn't exist. Well, if they're not using it, they just start putting stuff in there. And God over and over again says, cleanse my temple. So what does it mean to purify the church? Purify us collectively. And notice he says, it, it's, it's inside and outside. I will never be one to say, as long as you behave correctly around us, you'll be okay. You can only do behavior modification for a little bit. What is in the heart will come out the hands and the feet and the mouth. So if we're the temple... And then, since you are, they have these promises. What does it mean to purify what's here at this address, six four seven four Northeast Seventh Street, Ocala, Florida? Is there sin in here that we need to address? Now, this is where the text gets super hard, and I have to preach it. I don't have any option. I don't know everybody's inside and out. Do I get up on a Sunday morning and pray, God, please purify me because my thoughts five minutes ago on a drive here with some moron coming off of Banyan Avenue, Grenyan Road, yeah, I'm like, I'm preaching a sermon on purifying. And then, Does Jesus say, be perfect, then come to him? No. He's saying, keep the temple pure. If we're going to come together and we're going to reflect Jesus to our community, we need to take care of sin on the inside of the church building. Sexual sin, mental sin, physical sin. And where do, we, where do we take that to? If you're here this morning and you're struggling with some kind of sin, I don't want to meet with you at 2 o'clock this afternoon and hear your confession 
I'm going to be a nap. I'm going to be a nap time. Who do you take it to? God. Who wants to forgive you? As a loving parent, remember, God promised to David, I want to be your dad. He wants to reconcile with you. Now, I know some of the stories in the room, and I do not want to put them on the screen of sins because my sin bubbled. It's above my head any given week. You would not have me preach next Sunday. But I do know we need to deal with it. Inside and out. Bring holiness to completion in the fear of God. What's the goal? Holiness. What does holy mean? It's set apart. Think temple. What were the holy things inside the temple besides the people? What were the holy things? You got the altar? The altar was holy? What else is in the, it's in the temple? I'm not asking you to memorize all of Exodus for this. But they, they, they did sacrifices, so they had tongs for the meat. They had knives. They had all these tools. God said those things are holy. What makes them holy? Okay, here's this whole deal. Miss Jessie loves, I love this, best example. My toothbrush is holy. It's only for me. I don't want to share it with you, and you don't want to share mine. It's separate. It's distinct. It has a special purpose. That's what holy means. Since we are the temple, and God said, hey, keep those things holy. You have been set apart for work for Jesus to be yoked with him for a special purpose. That's what makes you holy. Are we holy because we happen to wake up and drive in this driveway this morning, in and of ourselves? Is a shovel in the temple in and of itself holy? It's its use. What's the motivation? The fear of God. If you love and follow Jesus, it's, whoa, that's my God. The one who spoke the world into existence, who loved me enough to come and die for me, who rose again from the dead and promised to come back. It's Isaiah when he's called to go follow God and he gets his vision of God in the temple. He goes, it just blows his mind. That's fear. It's a holy, it's a, it's a special reference, reverence. If you do not know Jesus, oh, that's the one who spoke the world in existence and could judge and will judge me. So our motivation of being collective temples, coming together, making ourselves distinct in the community is our fear of God that says, when he said, go and be a representative for me in your community and where you work. That's our motivation. Because remember, we are the temple. Those who claim to follow Jesus, those who have a relationship with Jesus, are the temple. It's a collective idea here. Choose wisely with whom you yoke, a teammate. Maintain the purity of the temple collectively. 
by individually taking care of sin and dealing with sin interpersonally. For we are the temple and its caretakers. We are the temple and its caretakers. So this morning, with whom are you yoked? First off, are you yoked up with Jesus? Have you taken the yoke off of your life and you've purposely, voluntarily yoked up with him? Has that ever happened? Secondly, are you yoked up with other co-workers in your community? Are you doing it all by yourself? I already let the cat out of the bag. We're having a new members class. I would love for you to join that just to explore what it means to be yoked. Here. How are you taking care of this temple? This would be so weird to have out of context, but in the context of this sermon, think yourself this morning. How am I taking care of this collective body? If it's not, it never is about you. Loving others is reaching out to them. So you this morning, how are you taking care of this temple, of what's here, including the kids in the back? And share your temple story in your community. When did God make in you a clean heart? When did he take up residence in your life to make you incredibly special because he took up residence in your life. Share that temple story. Now, I don't know if you would go to work next tomorrow and say, hey, let me tell you an entire story of the Old Testament and how I'm a cool temple now. I mean, yeah, maybe if you got all day, that'd be cool. But you understand what I'm saying? Share your temple story. Next Sunday from 3 to 6, Invite people to come here and just hang out and realize, hey, we cook good food, and we're not weirdos. Well, you think, yeah, there's a long, weird-bearded guy. I don't know how, I know, Corey, you too. Yeah, my weirdo, that's my neighbor. I know how weird he is. This is a great opportunity just to come and hang out. Everybody needs to eat next Sunday. We're going to Miss Joanne's doing her baked beans. Amen to that. Yeah. So invite people to next weekend to just come and hang out from three to six. Go in your communities and spheres of influence, where you're at, your neighbors. Share your story because you are a temple and its caretaker. Thanks again for listening. We hope you've been challenged and encouraged and helped by God in His Word. If you want more information about Grace Church of Ocala or would like to get in contact with us, please visit our home on the web, ocalagrace.org. And if we haven't met yet, we hope to talk with you soon.